like when someone farts in a room full of like 50 people, if everybody inhaled, it would go away quicker. Welcome to the Dylan and Joe Basement Podcast. We're your hosts, Prohibition Dylan and Modern Day Drinker Joe. <laughs> Modern Day Drinker Joe. And uh, welcome aboard. And today we're going to be uh, getting started talking to you guys about the uh, some facts and history about alcohol in general. And then we're going to top off that with a uh, with a little piece of competition eating. Yeah, I mean, after the the year ended up, we're talking about the apocalypse and the end of the world. It's uh, time to celebrate. It's a new year, and a new year means just time to stuff yourself full of whatever fun and cheer you can get. So we're on a happier mood. I figured we talk about the history of alcohol and how that's been part of uh, cultures all around the world, and then the more modern art of competitive eating, which is another way to stuff your face. So a little more indulgent this week. <laughs> that's right, Joe. And uh, it, all, both of these things really, you know help everybody through the end of the world and as mentioned we just went through that and you're definitely going to be eating and you're absolutely going to be drinking as oh, alcohol yeah. has been a big part of uh human civilization uh since really since uh you know how many years ago joe were uh, homo sapiens really kind of mixing with neanderthals what was that maybe even before yeah. modern humans we, we tend to think it's around forty thousand years ago so anytime then <clears throat> and before that you know yeah yeah, and uh, just according to science, I mean, the first thing with, with like, you know, who was drinking what, when, where, and why, um, that the dawn of uh, the birth of, of, of humans to begin with, we, we had enzymes to process alcohol even way past 40,000 years ago. We're talking way before that. Um, but uh, they kind of evolved into an enzyme to process ethanol because that's what we're drinking. It's really just the breakdown of, of grains and sugars into ethanol. Um, mm -hmm. So that's really the first thing. And, and the first funny story about that is um, animals, uh, some of them have a tendency to get drunk. And the first animal I think of, Joe, is an elephant. Oh, wow. Yeah, that's what I was going to mention is that it's not just a purely human aspect to be able to be using alcohol. I mean, anytime that fruits and food would go out and spoil, they'd start to ferment and any animal can come on up there and start eating. It's not out of the question that probably for hundreds of thousands of years, early primates were, you know, ingesting rotten fruit to get drunk i mean it still happens today yeah yeah it still does i mean they see uh i don't you know it's it's really funny because the story i'm thinking of is elephants eating apples but i i i don't know but i haven't seen an elephant in an apple orchard yet but um me neither they must have been delivered <laughs> exactly so so let's just picture an elephant in an apple orchard story about an elephant is it a true story yeah I know, I know it's a true story that they eat. They, they are definitely one of the, the <clears throat> part of the group that does like to get drunk from time to time. Whether they're eating apples or not, I don't know. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's any, it's any like a, yeah, any rotten fruit that has that that somehow there's has access to yeast, which is typically everywhere. Um, yeah. Well, rotten. If I was I was mentioning as you're walking through an apple orchard, you sometimes you get that really rotten apple smell that as a uh, uh, seasoned uh, 
a beverage consumer, it tends to smell very good. And I'm be curious as to how the natural buzz of a apple on grass that ferments makes you feel. But it's I mean, it's there. What's the worst that can happen? You're gonna puke and shit your brains out, but it might be interesting. Yeah, yeah, definitely. It's definitely um possible. And, and yeah, so 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 moving on to um <clears throat> when when humans really started to get uh, that we have record of um consuming alcoholic beverages. And the and the first one that comes to mind is in a uh, sweet little beautiful town in Israel. We're in Israel and um and they found so Interesting. I want to see, check, check this out because I know it's different than the Egyptians, but they were stone pots, right, Joe? Not clay? Yeah. Yeah, I think it, it looked like uh, almost like how you have a mortar and pestle, like that kind of like, ah. I think that kind of material, like, you know, how it's it's harder than uh, clay because you have to be mashing stuff into it. So it needs to be like mm. a solid structure. Mm. I think it was that kind of uh, like, yeah, you said stone. Yeah. Yeah. yeah and, and from what I read, they, they would still had liquid in it. So it was it, and it was beer. They found beer. So yeah, people, yeah, so these Middle Easterners were, were drinking beer back then. I think mm-hmm. that's awesome. So that's really like the, the really the what we have so far today. I'm sure, you know, there's so much about history that we don't know. So there could be, right. could be plenty of other situations going on like that. Um, but next up, um, Joe, do you have anything before we talk about Egypt? Uh, yeah, I mean, so it, I mean, it's around the same time period where they think that, you know, it started being a wide practice to be fermenting and making beer and things like that which we think beer is the oldest that they're making deliberately brewing it not just finding rotten fruit things like that uh seven thousand years ago um in china called in a village called jiahu in northern china well they didn't find it seven thousand years ago this is when it was dated to <laughs> but there was uh um jars much like the ones that are in uh, the middle east i don't believe these were stone jars though and they had a residue of liquid that had grapes, hawthorn berries, honey, and rice. So it seems like kind of an early uh, wine uh, production there. So just mm. different parts of the world, but they were both producing their own uh, drinks that we can find out happened that long ago. Wow. Yeah, that's an interesting one. So you said you said grapes, rice, honey, and um, hawthorn uh, berries. Yeah. That's weird. So, um, so what we know about, uh, you know, alcohols like brandy, rum, sake, absinthe, whiskey, so on and so forth, they each have mm-hmm. a core, a core, um, like, let's just say grain for now. Um, yeah, or, most or of fruit. Grain. Yeah. It's that, uh, it's that, for lack of a better term, it's the food for the yeast to be munching down. Yes. On, you know? Yeah, exactly. And it can be grapes. It can be barley. It can be sugar cane. It can be rice, Potato. whatever it is. You mentioned a specific beverage that has like three different types of like yeah. something for the alcohol to munch on i wonder what's up with that because like usually from for these days i mean what, what people are it's at the liquor store is like a, a primary thing like it's like it's either grapes or it's yeah you pick one and that's what or it's for sure. yeah yeah exactly but you just mentioned one that had like a few of them so i wonder what that yeah. would be like uh yeah i wonder if that was deliberately how they how they knew how to make it maybe like saying like well we don't we can't get it to work unless you try all these together and they mm. got it to work with all four and they kept just using all four to make it work every time like the, the ratios were off or something mm. i mean putting honey and grapes uh putting honey and berries rather seems to be like trying to add to the sweetness of the mm. flavor rather than just having straight rice which would taste probably more like barley wine or something like that um yeah that's my closest guess but they don't have uh, as far as i looked into they don't have any evidence of why they use so many different types and it's just what they found in the uh in the residue so 
cool. Uh, that's awesome. Um, <clears throat> so they found out the residue. That's great. So around the so same time as all this. Yeah, I was going to say, I think Egypt uh, comes into the picture at the same time. It's just on the end of a different part of the world. Yeah, exactly. And my my theory is, I mean, they've they've been probably making beer just as long as Israel has. I mean, there's... Yeah, they had, they had batteries that we found because, yeah, I think that they all probably were going far enough, farther the back than we realized. I mean, before they made that discovery in Hafia, I'm sure that they thought it was, you know, probably 6,000 years ago. They found out that it was later than that. But like you're saying, for the most part, we imagine this has been happening for much longer than we have discovered just because the all the other evidence points to it. Yeah, exactly. And you've got you've got super, super um, powerful, you know, um, pharaohs and royalty in, in Egypt and they had access to all this all these type of things like I said their technology level was there's a lot going on in Egypt that we're not going to talk about right now but you know at the very least they had batteries and pots they made them clay pots with some sort of alkaline solution and lead and whatever it is they're drinking beer just that's just happening um, and a thousand years ago they found evidence of a similar residue with the uh, wheat and barley in eastern Europe mm -hmm. So even that, I mean, it wasn't even a large civilization there back then, but they were still brewing it up. You got to do something to pass the time back then. You're either whether, and the, and the cool thing is it's almost like it's an ultimate equalizer. Um, you didn't have to be rich to, to get drunk. Um, so the Egyptians, it was, oh, cool. yeah, yeah, exactly. So you didn't have, yeah, some, some things obviously like, uh, you know, certain foods and environments, especially in Egypt, were only reserved for the pharaohs or for royalty or uh, people like that. Um, but alcohol seems to be something that everyone's enjoying. If they're brewing 300 gallons a day at just one brewery in Egypt, 300 gallons. That's a lot of beer. That's a lot of beer today. I mean, never mind that that long ago. That's like massive production. That's a that's a lot of beer. Yeah, 300 gallons. And the thing is, to do it 300 gallons a day, that you can actually kind of produce. That's a that's a lot. That's a, a real substantial, fully operating brewery. It's pretty cool. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's for sure. Of course, they weren't canning it back then, but that would be a lot of 30 racks, I'd imagine. And they were clay potting it, maybe? Clay potting it. <laughs> Everyone's yeah, just doing this. <laughs> I also read that in uh, Mesopotamia and in Egypt, in the early stages of brewing, they would drink it through it with a reed. they find the river or like a straw. So that they wouldn't get all the residue of the barley in the because it wasn't filtered like we have uh, to. Yeah. You'd ha you'd finish your beer and the whole bottle would be filled with like a sediment of all the other uh, smaller. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So they decided to drink it through a straw so you wouldn't get all the chunks in your mouth when you were drinking. Plus you get oh, yeah, drunk. That's fun. Yeah. So that um that part of the the there's like the mash and then the wort. I forget which what, what is what. But yeah, at the end of the process of any any beer you're drinking today is always at least filtered through like cheesecloth or. Um, yeah. through a siphon, a siphon and cheesecloth, and you leave all that residue of yeast and uh, other thicker particles at the bottom. Exactly. Yeah, I mean, now yeah. today, it's kind of more in vogue. They started selling uh, unfiltered beer, so you get that cloudy look to it. Yeah. You, know, you can't look at the glass. But even unfiltered beer they produce now is still filtered. It's just filtered Definitely. less. Yeah, filtered less. Like a Bud Light would probably be the ultimate example of the most processed beer yeah, you they probably put in your body. Out of it, it's just the, it's just the water. So yeah, that's yeah. severe. Yeah, yeah, that's severe processing. Whereas like a probably some sort of West Coast IPA, New England IPA actually unfiltered. Oh, New England um, IPA is unfiltered. You commonly yeah, it is probably filtered to the level that like I would filter when back when I brewed some couple batches, siphon mm -hmm. and cheesecloth. That's pretty much. Yeah. Pretty much it. It's going to be cloudy. Yeah, it's it's great and it works. And 
Ain't nothing fun. wrong with that. Want some meatballs, you know. <laughs> uh, tell me, Joe, is uh, what's that saying? Uh, beer before beer before liquor. Never been sicker. Liquor before beer. You're in the clear. I think you're in the clear. It. Yeah. Is there any truth to that? I don't believe so. That's actually interesting. We can debunk that myth right now. There's all different kinds of ways people feel when they drink different types of alcohol. I think it's mostly about the rate of which you're getting drunk because ultimately you're still metabolizing the same compound. Wine doesn't have different kinds of ethanol than, you know, vodka or beer. It's the same chemical you're getting in your body. It's just, you know, made a different way and it's different ratios. So all I can find through, through modern science is that they're all anecdotal things. Oh, I drink wine. I get silly. Oh, I don't, don't have tequila, you know, one tequila floor. I'm going to hit the floor if I have tequila. Or, oh, I, I can't drink beer after drinking a shot because I get sick. It, it, I, I believe everyone's story. Everyone's different. Everyone's body works differently. But ultimately, the only thing that's actually provable is how much alcohol is going in your system and how well your liver and uh, body can metabolize alcohol. That dictates how much you get fucked up. So I think often if you're drinking beer before liquor, it's more of a story of how you started drinking heavily as more as the night went on. You're drinking beer and now you're drinking liquor later on. Rather than liquor before beer, you're probably doing a smaller circumstance. Oh, let's have one martini and then we'll chill out later. I think that's more often the case. It's not the actual things you're drinking. It's the kind of evening you're having and how much you're consuming at what speed, I think is what happens. Hmm. And so that's what science is saying. How do you, right. do you have any experience with like tonight's a wine night, tonight's a tequila night, tonight's a, the weekend I'm going to have, I'm going to do, I'm going to stick to just beer. Cause I know that it makes me, I don't feel as bad in the morning. Um, is there any sort of like non-truth about like just a pretty much an opinion about like that type of thing that you have? Yeah, for me, I find that if I just um, drink only beer alone, I can usually keep it up a pretty decent pace my tolerance is pretty high so i probably won't feel that bad the next day i won't really feel sick that night but when you start throwing in hard liquor it's forget about it even if it's <laughs> if i'm drinking just a whiskey or if i'm drinking a, you know a shot of you know tequila and then drinking a beer it's that's when it's like yeah that's your all bets are off same with wine if i just have it by itself it's not the big deal you, you add in the hard alcohol in there that's when it starts to really mess with me yeah yeah Yep. I, I, I just, yeah, I know the science is there. Your, your, your liver doesn't care what it is. It breaks it down exactly the same. Right. Um, but I mean, I, I, I typically feel like I can have a different buzz no matter what, depending on what I'm drinking. I science I can't I, really I, prove I do, it. I do feel differently too. Like I would feel yeah. differently if I'm drinking beer or wine, but even though the science isn't there, but I, I do feel that way. I think a lot of people do. Well, let's do this. Like, I mean, do you feel different if you have, um, all right, we're taking other drugs out of the situation. Grapefruit <laughs> juice versus orange soda. No, that's a fucking horrible example. Um, so <laughs> I mean, I do. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I do. One, one of them I'm confused on how bitter it is and why I'm drinking it. And the other one I'm like, hell yeah, let's fucking party. Let's fucking have some orange soda guys. Um, Okay. So yeah, but, I mean, for me, again, I know the science is there, but like, I, I, genu I definitely feel different. I mean, like, yep. depending on what I'm having, I mean, I, for some reason, feel like I process scotch so much better than anything else. When I have wine, I always get headaches. 
the next day where i mean i get, I get hungover all the time but like i get uh if it's scotch I, I i don't know i don't know i just don't get them as much i just uh and, and it could be because it's a, i'm slowly drinking it i don't know i don't know but i feel I warmer and nice weird. and it's yeah i mean i'm not sure but i think that that's a lot of what it is it's a lot of, a lot of it's anecdotal evidence because it's something that most people who are adults have tried at some point so everyone has their own experience on how it happens but you got to imagine if you're uh, you know, if you're sipping a, a nice scotch with a couple of rocks in there and you're, you're hanging out for a couple hours, you're drinking at a much different uh, pace even and less altogether. If you're doing like, you mm. know, e-shots at a bar, I don't care if you're drinking the same thing, you're getting fucked up. Like I, you're going to mm -hmm. feel differently than those two situations too, I think. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's true. No, I hear you on that. Um, so but yeah, that's just a tough one. Opinion, opinion wise, totally feel different depending on what alcohol I'm drinking. I mean, yeah. it's just, and, and tequila is probably the most universal version. People get wild on tequila and I don't, yeah. I get wild on everything, but a special wild on tequila. It's like this, I don't drink tequila during the week. It's just not something I'm going to do. I've tried yeah. it. And I'm like, it's just like, I can't sleep well. It's like a weird, I don't know. It makes no sense. Cause it comes from, it's what agave base. Yeah. Agave. Yeah, so, yeah, so I don't know. I've never. I don't think I've, I've had agave syrup, but whatever. Um, yeah, so that's that. Where there's, we don't really, we definitely don't have a conclusion to that. Besides, our our souls and our hearts tell us that it's different. Um, <laughs> exactly. Your liver is <laughs> the same, but your your soul knows the difference. In my mind, no. In my mind. In your mind. Well, maybe I have the answer. It could be this, Joe. Um, so we can call liquor a couple different things. And one of them is commonly referred to as spirits. Spirits, for sure. And we're talking about the history of this stuff. And it's called spirits because uh, the first, our first boy in, in the house today, Aristotle. Um, Aristotle from ancient Greece. Yep, Aristotle from ancient Greece. Aristotle, um, uh, he actually believed that um, some of the first uses of alcohol were due to people who were dying or depressed. So they would drink alcohol to get through that, get, get those bad spirits out of them. Oh, See where I'm going with this? Um, yeah. yeah. And Aristotle, um, that was what he believed. He believed that you're putting good spirits into your body and the spirits of the, the veg, the, the things that you're fermenting or leaving. And it's all a big spiritual thing. Um, wow. in a way so, he's not wrong. Uh, my spirits definitely change when I have alcohol. That's a fact. So maybe the unseen to the naked eye science of alcohol really does go back to the spirits. And tequila's got some wild spirit situation going on here. Whereas, for example, like a digestive isn't really a crazy party drink. So um, what's that? A digestive? Oh, great question, Joe. A digestive would be <clears throat> uh, about just about every country has their own. Um, I was going to say the United States is the most famous for Jägermeister. Just kidding. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Which means hunter master, not in English. <laughs> not English. Most commonly found at dive bars, though, from a machine. Um, yeah, which is down and chilled. I don't. Do they still have those? Because those were big for a while, dude. I think. I, I know remember. that the uh, the the dirty Finn had it for a while. Definitely had that machine. Um, oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Fins. Oh yeah. Um, yeah, that had the Jägermeister machine. Um, and besides Jägermeister, I'm not sure America really has any. United States of America has their own version. But I know, for example, Greece has something called Uzo, um, 
and then so like some of the other kind of what it's like a liqueur what? thing yeah yeah it's like a liqueur that um that encourages the right type of stomach acid um so people outside of the u.s who aren't don't have a binge drinking problem use drink all the time they have a, they they're, they I'm can have <laughs> they can have a glass of wine with lunch and not take it to the next level mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. huh what are you talking about america's a drinking problem <laughs> wait what do you mean what do you mean a drinking problem raise your raise your stein well it's okay i'm german today and well and american i'm a german american <laughs> you're an immigrant in other words i'm an Im- immigrant with my horse stein <laughs> thousands of years after the beginning of brewing and people are thinking that uh you're drinking it and the good spirits go in the bad ones go out and they're in Greece yep and uh Persia you're somewhere in Persia and it's time to cut off your leg it happens um yep. <laughs> happens and, the and they're, they're like all right we're gonna give you um this uh, beer and uh it's gonna help with the pain and it was used for that, for depression, and for giving to dying people to uh, help their spirits. Um, so that 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 covers that. I can't think of anything else besides alcohol. Besides, we're almost there. Um, it's uh, being used as something specifically, which we all know of because there's a lot of myths around it. Um, mm-hmm. Instead of water, Joe, why would you drink beer instead of water? Well, first of all, it tastes good and it makes you feel good. That's step one. And water makes you feel good. doesn't taste very good. doesn't taste like anything, but it can make you feel great. And the other thing is that uh, water is not an antiseptic. It has no alcohol in it. So it's very easy to be uh, polluted with all kinds of bacteria and pathogens, especially if it's not moving water. So one reason you might want to have beer instead of water is to make sure you don't get sick from drinking it and you can still be hydrated from it. Just not to that same degree. I, I believe you're probably referring to uh, the uh, colonization period when they were going to have to start a whole new country and they didn't have enough uh, nice, clean water with them. Weirdly enough, I am. <clears throat> um, to, the, to the folks who are listening today, um, and for you, Joe, um, the Mayflower specifically had more beer than water on it specifically wow. because it was at the time of people who experienced some diarrhea also known as dysentery for those of you who played Oregon Trail um yeah. shit yourself to death Dehydrate shit yourself to death. death uh loose skin whatever the fuck that means rapid heartbeat some weight loss bunch of shit also known as cholera um and yeah, cholera strikes again cholera strikes again a lot of times in human history so yeah. at the time, it was like, I could risk getting cholera by drinking the water on the Mayflower, or I'm going to yeah. drink beer um, to stay hydrated, well, which is enough. funny because it's a diuretic and I've, I, I'd, I'd be dead. I mean, I, I, I definitely know I'd be dead yeah. um, if all I had to drink was beer. It sounds fun if you're fucking 19 and you think that's hilarious, but it's actually Yeah, it's only fun the one night you start doing it. Then when you wake <laughs> day up, one is fun. Beer for breakfast, you're like, fuck me. It's, it's old real quick, I'd imagine. We've all been there. You go to, especially you have a mimosa or Bloody Mary for breakfast. It's so much fun for one hour. Yeah. And then, you know, then you're, and then it's like, it's 9 45 a.m. and you step outside and the sun's beating down in the summer and you're like, I'm already hungover and I wasn't before I went to breakfast. (laughs) Yeah. That's the thing. It's like, uh, it's like when you have a, a, a Uno hand 
and you have like 20 cards in your hand and then you pull one card and you finally get the one you want and you put it down, but you're still holding a handful of cards. Like even if you just find mm -hmm. the one card you need, it's not over. You're going to have to pay the piper at some point and alcohol always makes you pay for it no matter what. Yeah, unfortunately, it's just the it's the uh, the fine um, uh, balance uh, of human life. It's never that good. That's the nature of the beast. <laughs> you can't just take a drug like alcohol and be like rocking it, and then you phase off and just feel great forever. I mean, can you imagine if alcohol wasn't detrimental to your health and didn't give you hangovers? It's already the most popular drug in the world. It would be out of control. 20 people a day, and well, I don't know before COVID, it could have gone up or down, who knows. 20 people a day die, excuse me, die of some sort of alcohol, alcohol poisoning alone, not even including cirrhosis and other liver diseases. Mm -hmm. um, not including so, drunk driving accidents, not including- Yeah, yeah, literally just- And neglect <clears throat> that's fueled by alcohol and all that. Yeah, so just, just simply just alcohol poisoning, 20 people a day die, which is- it, not hard to do, but it's kind of hard to do. You got to really not. Honestly, alcohol is you know an, an awful thing objectively on the, the health of the world. I mean, if you're talking about just people's you know biology and the loss of human life, it's clearly a, a huge issue. But I think that just speaks more to the popularity of it because we've been talking about how it's been going on since before recorded history, and it's still going on now. But we have all the evidence; it's clear that it's not a great thing for the world. But makes a lot of money and it makes a lot of people feel good. So <clears throat> yeah, people have spoken. We <clears throat> want to keep it. Yep, exactly. So so for me, uh, until uh, another big event in history, I mean, for almost two thousand years, the 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 history of alcohol moved to you know it kind of got tied into re religion with like Trappist monks and stuff like that. And but it wasn't yeah. really that exciting. It kind of just was a part of people's lives, and they just cheers and drank a lot of alcohol and for two thousand yep. years, and then it got banned, right? Yeah, my the story I came to here today to tell is a little bit before that because this the, my yeah, story yeah. takes place in uh in the United Kingdom, but it's actually in Ireland at the at the time, which was Northern Ireland was still part of the United Kingdom, not then. So before America decided we're putting the kibosh on this whole booze thing, uh, which would never fly in Ireland for the very reason I'm about to talk about right now. <laughs> so as they the, would never the flow in Ireland. We would never flow, <laughs> it never flow, but it would, but it would flow. So Ireland is famous for a particular type of alcohol. Like we said, that, you know, each region has their own versions of it. Uh, Ireland started making whiskey after it was popularized in Scotland. So even though we think that distillation has been going on around 4,000 years, so not as much time as brewing and uh, making wine, because distillation is concentrating alcohol more and more. So that's how you get something like a, a, a scotch instead of a beer because you're trying to concentrate that alcohol, um, even though it's a different process. So around 4,000 years ago, the process was starting and it was probably in uh, the Middle East and Northern Turkey, they started doing it for the first time, uh, Ottoman Empire kind of shit coming up on it. Um, and it was adopted in Scotland in the 1400s. Then within that 100 years, it was adopted in Ireland. Now you're getting Irish whiskey, you're getting scotch and all the, the famous kinds of that. So. We're going to fast forward all the way to the uh, 1800s for the story of the great whiskey flood of Dublin. Before you start, I just want to point out that whiskey is spelled two different ways depending on where it's from. Mm -hmm. Whiskey, 
W-I-S-K-E-Y, is everywhere but Scotland. And W-I-S-K-Y is just Scotland, aka Scotch. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's also interesting that it, um, when you talk about scotch, you're talking about scotch whiskey. It's all whiskey, bourbon, you know, mm-hmm. uh, all things like that. They're all whiskey, but you just call them by the name of, you know, where they're from, you know, how mm-hmm. they're made. Um, yeah. Uh, so, yeah. So in the, in the 1800s, uh, in the mid 1800s at this time, Ireland is struggling. Um but they still have their, their distilleries. The oldest distillery that's um, licensed and still working in the world is the old Bushmills Distillery in Northern Ireland. It was founded in 1608 and it's still running today. That's a long time of making whiskey and still selling it. Uh, and those different distilleries were some of the only business that was still going at the time. You know, we got famine happening, the economy's crashing and people are traveling to England, to America, to Canada. They're fleeing Ireland, trying to get work and be able to feed their families. Uh, but one of the only industries that's just going strong is the whiskey industry. I mean, it's going so strong. They're, they're hiring people to be building barrels, to store it. All the jobs around that market are keeping Ireland alive. Dublin alone at this time had 37 whiskey distilleries in the city limits. So, I mean, that's just one type of alcohol that 37 different places are, are making. And they're not only staying open, they're propping up the economy of Dublin at that time. People were need, needed whiskey to be selling all over the British Empire to keep the city running. And when you put all your eggs in one basket, sometimes that basket falls and you break all the eggs. And that seemed to happen in Dublin. It was basically waiting to go off. So you fast forward to 1875 is where the flood story happens. They had these warehouses with just barrels and barrels of whiskey all over the city because whiskey needs to be aged and they're leaving it in there to add to the flavor and the, uh, the quality of it. And one of those distilleries uh, that was next to the, uh, the barrels there, the, the out product, one of the uh, warehouses holding the barrels, a fire starts and there's all kinds of sawdust and wood in there for building the barrels and maintain the uh, whole warehouse, catches fire. And the fire spreads like wildfire because now we're in a wooden structure with wood on the ground, a fire, and 5,000 barrels. So you know how big a regular barrel is, full of whiskey. Whiskey, alcohol, alcohol is flammable. So the barrels start to catch the wood outside of them. The whiskey starts, the whiskey fumes start to ignite. And now we have exploding barrels of flaming whiskey popping off in this warehouse, just exploding, dropping the liquid all over the ground. We have flaming whiskey pouring all over this warehouse. And before people didn't realize what's going on, the whole warehouse is up and whiskey is pouring out of the warehouse into the streets, like lava flowing out of a building. That's <laughs> so amazing. Very, I, yeah. I bet that smelled pretty good. Yeah, I mean, it probably did smell pretty good. Out of all the 37 distilleries in the city, 32 <clears throat> of them were, were in the same section of the city called the liberties. This is where it happened. So not only now do you have whiskey pouring out into the streets on fire, it's next to all these other wooden buildings that are also full of whiskey. I mean, it's like shooting an ammunition cache. They think it's going to go up. So the whiskey's mm-hmm. flowing out into the streets. It's like fire. They said that this, the squealing pigs running away from the fire was the first time that people actually woke up. It's the middle of the night. No one knew what was going on. And luckily, most people got out of their homes before the flames started to spread, before they saw liquid death rolling down the road. They said that it was about two feet deep in the road of whiskey. 
So you imagine just this flood full of whiskey coming down the road, two feet deep. If you stood up in it, it would be almost up to your knees, just straight whiskey going through. So obviously the, the fire department, they, they figure, fire brigade rather, they figure out pretty quickly this is going to be a big problem. They show up on the scene. Now, what do firemen usually do as a fire? They come down there, get the hoses in and start spraying the thing down and try to contain the flames. Problem is they have a, basically a giant gasoline or grease fire here. If they spray water into the flaming whiskey, they're just going to add a vehicle to spread the alcohol burning more and more. So you can't spray water on it. It'll just splash the fire everywhere. That's not going to help. So they have the bright idea that they're going to contain it. I mean, basically this whole section of the city is lost now. We can't save it. We're going to try to use the gravel and the paving stones to build like a firewall around it, which is probably a good idea in a lot of fires at the time. If you had mm. to deal with it, I mean, what's the other option? Problem is, problem is you can't contain it because it's liquid and it starts seeping through the stones and seeping through the walls. So it just keeps spreading and the fire's getting everywhere. They can't stop it. Meanwhile, the good people of Dublin, the good hardworking folks in Dublin are out of their homes and safe for the most part, but hundreds of people are walking up to the Whiskey River. They're taking hats, they're taking steins, cups, bowls. They're scooping whiskey out and drinking it like crazy. I mean, these people are dirt poor and they have a river of whiskey going through the city. Granted, it's on fire. You blow it out, you drink it. There was hundreds of people showing up and drinking this disaster that was happening. It's like it's like when someone farts in a room full of like 50 people. If everybody inhaled, it would go away quicker. <laughs> That's true. I don't know if they were necessarily trying to help as much as they're trying to cash in on maybe their only chance in life to drink unlimited whiskey. And they did. Yeah, I uh, gotta say, if it were me and that happened, it would be like a free pass to not go to work and to just be like let's have a fucking banger of course i mean as long as people have get fun <laughs> yeah so yeah most people a lot of people did that they found many people passed out on the streets that same night while the fire was still raging because they had yep. drank bill in other words uh, a couple people with their shoes missing because they had used them to scoop up the whiskey and drink a whole shoe fill, which is probably shoes a good. Sh yeah, a shoe will work. It it'll uh, it it'll get the I job mean, done. Lot of opportunity. So so I just I just love that story for how it is a huge disaster and leave it to <laughs> Ireland to take care of it by going out and trying to drink all the whiskey they can. And uh, so eventually they had to have a different idea on how to contain this fire because the the con I mean the uh, the pavement stones weren't working. So they get the idea that they could try to make a whole wall out of horse shit. So they did. Horse shit was a resource they had a ton of in Dublin at the time. And it's still a time before modern uh, cars. So people had horses all over the city. They had plenty of horse shit. They built a whole wall of horse shit around the fire, contained the fire with horse shit. So the Great Whiskey Flood in Dublin was saved by a bunch of drunken Irish people sucking it up and a bunch of smart firemen that decided to pack it with horse shit. I love that story. That's the best story I've heard all week. No question. I didn't know that. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, it's, it's crazy. I mean, that's, that's what alcohol will do. It'll prop up the economy of a place. It goes down and people take a sip. Yep. You know, wow. And, and creative too. I love, I love the horse shit part at the end. I mean, it just doesn't, it really yeah. couldn't get better. <laughs> yeah. Great story. Thanks. Yeah. It's awesome. So yeah. uh, do you roll into uh, a little couple of years after that, probably about 30 years after, right? In the early 1900s. Yeah, early 1900s, specifically the 20s, we, uh, the uh, government of the United States of America decided to uh, start the prohibition, put a ban on selling or buying alcohol 
for the kibosh on the whole thing. Kibosh and the whole thing right after the Great Depression, right after World War One. All these times where you, you know, like this is the time what we're talking about. It's it's the uh, you're trying to solve it. You need the alcohol after the Great Depression and during it, not before it. You know, come on. Yeah, right. So, um, yeah, real bummer. Um, but it's uh, it's the thing. It went really well, and now that's why we still have alcohol to this day, right? <laughs> what do you mean? Or did it go poorly and they reversed the decision years later? Yeah, I think uh, the latter. It uh, went uh, poorly and they reversed the decision. Because imagine, like right now, they'd be like, "All right, we're no longer selling." People go mental. I mean, they really would. And like, there's, it, it, you know, like yes, abusing anything is going to have health consequences. Consequences. But if you have two drinks a day, I'm not a doctor. I'm not giving advice. I'm not telling you what to do. But two drinks a day is not the worst thing in the world. It's really not. And and some have heard things of some doctors saying that up to two for men mm-hmm. a day uh, is, 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 a, is not a bad thing. The oldest living American who just died like a year or two ago, oh, sorry, he's the oldest living World War II value is a guy in Texas. Right. Um, he, he drank uh, whiskey every single day till he died, 106. Wow. Yeah, so a lot of factors as with most studies go, um, you can almost disprove any study that has ever happened um, that taking this is going to make you live longer or not doing this to make you live longer or less or whatever it is. And there's some things that are pretty clearly like jumping off bridges, like your chances. Yeah, that's not great. But like, um, but things like that are kind of hard to disprove. If this guy is only having a glass of whiskey a day and he's living to 106, I'm not here to say that it's not working. No, I mean, there's, there's just so many variables in that that it would be nearly impossible to decide just with one yeah. person. Oh, and yeah. Also, a, li- a whole life lived, I mean, it'd be nearly impossible. Obviously, if you do things like drink whiskey every day, it sticks out. So people are going to notice it when you're at the end of your life. And they go, oh, well, you, maybe that's the secret. I doubt mm. that I doubt that it helped them uh, live longer, but maybe they did. I, I, there's too many variables to, to know that. Well, the thing sure. that I'm kind of pulling together from my own kind of understanding of long of long, what do you call them? Super long lifers? Oh. Oh, Hyper lifers? There's a special name for them. I think they're called old as shit. Long timers, old as shit, uh, ultra they marathoners. <laughs> I don't know. And my grandma's a hundred, hundred point like four. And she, uh, the one thing I can say about her is like, she eats consistently and she doesn't stress about anything. No stress mm-hmm. at all. Never really had to. I mean, she didn't really work a whole lot she worked during the war sort of at the navy yard and whatever it is yeah, so but the same this guy too this this guy it was a mini series on youtube about this guy and and yeah. um he didn't really seem to give a fuck about too many things besides like happiness so yeah he wasn't stressing about uh, things you couldn't control he said he was he was a combat veteran in like you know the the, uh, the asian front in world war ii and yeah, so that's like, I had all my time. He's like, I had all my fucking shit there. He's like, I sleep with my door open, lives in Galveston, Texas or something. It's like, if wow. someone wants to come in here, bring it on. You know, it just doesn't seem to stress a lot. So, so like you yeah. said, there's a lot of factors into, there's just too many, vari- sorry, variables into what this is, but he does definitely, he did drink every single day of his life. Wow, that's wild. Yeah, interesting. Yeah, yeah I mean, totally. the prohibition was a, I think, a, a pretty much a big flop, and then we redid it again on the, in the war on drugs years later. It, it works just as well as it did. Then. Yeah, we did great. Yeah. Um, yeah, but we can thank them for NASCAR because without uh, uh, moonshiners and uh, 
rum runners and things like that have the tradition of making cars go faster than the cops so you can't get caught selling alcohol yep that's right that is right do you know how the word nascar came about i don't uh during prohibition this uh, guy walked up to somebody who had a uh, bored out uh, ford uh post model t ford straight six straight eight type of car and said hey that's a nascar uh, yeah i mean i don't i don't know we're gonna cut I... that one or are we gonna leave that that stays in north american sports car association <laughs> Very good. Thank you. Thank you. So we had, yeah, we'll wrap up alcohol. Um, that's kind of where we're at with alcohol. It's just that the prohibition happened and NASCAR was founded because of that. And people to this day are still tearing down walls in their old homes and finding bottles and cool stuff. And, um, and it's, uh, it's not inherent. I mean, for me, I think alcohol is not inherently bad if you have self-control and if you don't, it can be a problem, but, uh, yeah. but, um, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a thing that, this earth creates just another one wonder of uh, <laughs> yeah. humanity and civilization and uh and biology study of life alcohol yes alcohol thing. like you just said it, it's 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 good in moderation um you can enjoy it as long as you don't have too much of it like many things the same for um food as well mm-hmm However, both are really good, not in moderation as well. If you go to excess, um, we're yeah. not trying to disprove that either. Both are, <laughs> both are wonderful. If you go, if you take them way too far and we all have, and they're great. It's not a problem specifically to end the alcohol conversation. The, we don't want to endorse anything, but the founder of Alcoholics Anonymous, supposedly, uh, suppose, supposedly, 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 supposedly with a D, with a D yeah. um, supposedly uh on his deathbed asked for a beer that's great that's what my my grandmother did she couldn't smoke for the last um couple weeks of her life and then they said this is basically we can't do anything more for you and then she said give me a fucking cigarette (laughs) she didn't swear but man yep yeah at this point you know why not yeah yeah i got i got family members who uh same thing it was the last couple of weeks and they're like, yeah, I'm smoking in my house. <laughs> if you're ever going to do it, it you're going to die. You just fucking go for it. You know? Yeah. Do whatever you want. So, um, so guys, uh, we're, we're going to, the, 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 the future of alcohol is to present day and we're all now, in a pandemic more and probably, yeah, doing uh, more money now than it ever has ever has in history. And I bet next year it'll make even more. <clears throat> On liquor alone, $20 billion a year market, not including beer or wine. So yes. just Americans, just for Americans. Just um, in America. Yeah. yeah, 20 billion bucks for just liquor, not even beer or wine, which probably, or even more, maybe. Um, so um, so anyways, uh, yeah, we're moving on to our next uh, level of consumption, which is, which is food, which we all seem to like, right? I eat it almost every day. Damn, me too. Yeah, so I mean, competitive eating—that's what we're getting into now. So we got went through drinking, now we're in competitive eating. Now, competitive eating is a strictly modern thing. I mean, I'm sure there's always been the classic you and your brother at the dinner table trying to eat mutton faster. Like it's probably gone on for as long as humans have gone along. But actual eating competitions 
are definitely a new thing. I mean, within the past couple hundred years is the first time ever we had enough surplus of food that it could ever be feasible to eat it just for the sake of eating it and eating more of it faster. I mean, through all of human history, all the shit we ever talked about, it's like, it's hard to be alive. You're trying to survive the whole time. You're, if you have five cherry pies, you're not going to eat them all in five minutes to try to beat your friend. You're going to save them for when you're starving tomorrow. But that's where we live in now. You have competitive eating and then uh, we have enough food now in a lot of parts of the world to do that. A lot of parts of the world, most parts still don't, which is, you know, why it's ridiculous that we even have eating competitions at all. But that's the modern world. So it's pretty the, funny. Just to chime in, sorry to interrupt you. No, the, don't, don't feel bad. Go ahead. Okay, yeah. Um, eating is essential to life, just like drinking is, just like the sun is, just like breathing is. There's no competitive breathing. There's no competitive sunlight. There's no competitive, yeah. uh, competitive, competitive drinking kills people. And competitive <laughs> water drinking will also kill you. Um, so this is kind of where we're at. You know, competitive eating is really the only thing we can do that is essential to human life besides exercise, which is an, which is movement, but um, it's the only thing that's there that is like feasible, weird. Yeah. I mean, out of those four, I, I imagine I'm pretty bad at all of them, but I'd probably be better at competitive drinking than competitive sun getting because I'd probably be dead in three hours. Uh, Alexander the Great killed 28 people in a competitive drinking contest, by the way, contest. That's awesome. 28 people died at a competition by Alexander the Great in whatever year he was around um, for a, a drinking alcohol, obviously, competition. 28 people died. I'd, I'd wager that alcohol drinking competitions have been around uh, or actively around way more than eating because you're in your drinking, you're already indulging. When you're eating, a lot of times you're surviving. You're not always mm -hmm. indulging. That's why yeah. the earliest competitive eating contest on record was eating a dessert. That's a luxury food item. It's not eating rice or sandwiches. It's eating mm -hmm. an extra thing you don't usually have. First one I could find was in uh, Toronto in 1878. There was a pie eating competition that was a, for a charity event. So mm -hmm. it was in the papers. So we have a record of it actually occurring. It might have been plenty of ones before them. This is the first one that we have on paper. Um, I don't know who won, but they ate, uh, I think, about uh, 13 to 20 pies, somewhere around that. <laughs> And they, they want it. <laughs> 13 to 20 pies. Yeah, I don't know how I don't know how many they, they said it was like around a certain number because a, a year Dude. late, a guy named Joe McCarthy in America ate 31 pies. So they're up in the ante pretty fast <clears throat> with a competitive pie eating. Do you have any uh more details? Like, is there a time limit? Like, because like most current day ones are like eight or something minutes. Yeah, I don't have a time limit on them. I don't know if they publish that or not. But yeah, they're all time limit. That's part of the competitive eating. 31 pies. How much, how, much how much can you eat in a certain amount of time? Yeah. 31 pies. I mean, that's... This guy ate 31 pies. Yeah. Dude, uh, it's definitely... So, like, in, in relation to oysters, which we've all had, um, that's the, the next record... Guy. The record... Oh, you have the next guy? Oysters? Next guy oysters yeah okay I'll, I'll let you go on that because i was gonna say like volume wise i'm comparing oysters to pie in an yeah. eight minute in eight minutes i have that that status there that fact there about like pies versus oysters like pies are obviously yeah. like 31 pies and go on well then the next guy i got i couldn't get a time limit on it either and i imagine it's because there was no time limit and it was just over the course of an evening because these numbers are staggering and there's no way he did in under 20 minutes um but his name is Frank Doltzer. This is in 1909 uh, in America. Now he was a member of the Manhattan Fat Men's Club, which not only existed, but I got a picture of them and it mm. is as funny as you think it is. The social club 
full of fat guys who do this kind of stuff all the time. And like I mean, in Monty Python. Fat, yeah. And being <laughs> fat in 1909, I mean, it's easier than in 1809, but it, it ain't as easy as it is getting McDonald's now. I mean, these guys were rotund in a time where you could barely find calories like that. They really put them down. So Frank Doltzer, as part of the Manhattan Fat Man Club, in one night ate, quoting them, ate 275 oysters. That's quite a bit of oysters. Eight pounds of steak, 12 dinner rolls, about this big, and three oh. pies. But don't worry, he washed it down with 11 cups of coffee. I mean, that's a lot of stuff in it. I imagine <clears> that's just a whole night of how much can you eat? Whoever eats the most at the end of the night wins. But I imagine they either had to roll him out like a large uh, boulder or he just died on the site. But uh, I don't know. That's wow. I had free oysters one time um, at a, at a uh, event where there was unlimited and I had 20 something, um, which is, it didn't really feel like a whole lot, but like on top of all that stuff, that's, that's fucking insane. And uh, the coffee might've helped break it down. I mean, that's like ridiculous, but I wanted to reference that scene in Monty. The coffee coffee doesn't make it easier on the way out. At least you get all that system flushed. (laughs) Yeah. And and it's acidic. So it, it might like break it down a little bit, but like, there's a scene of Monty Python. I forget which one it is, but there's a, there's the giant fat guy. He's a uh, food connoisseur and he Mm -hmm. eats all the food. Then he throws up and then he gets more, he's like a fine food guy. And he's just like how they spit out the wine. (laughs) Just sprays out. He goes, yeah, I'll have more please. He goes, he just eats up. He goes, he throws up all his food. (laughs) It's just making fun of that type of culture, which is very much makes me happy. So go on. No, so do you want to go into all, all the other uh, weird competitions and stuff? Because the next thing yeah. I, I was going to get into is the Nathan's famous one, and that's how I'm going to yeah. end it. Yeah, I think we'll end it with Nathan's just because that's the most famous one. Um, yeah. yeah, we'll end it with Nathan's. Um, uh, up until then, um, what I what kind of what I've realized is that uh, typically the time limit is eight minutes in modern day uh, food competitions. It's so, like, like the, for example, uh, official time limit, like the MLB or it's like the National Food Eating Association. Yep, or whatever. Exactly. So how much food can you eat in eight minutes? Um, and what one of them su- surprises me very much. And I feel like I might I might try to uh, contest this. Uh, well, not contest. Hey, right. I mean, this is supposed to be an inspirational podcast. Get out there, drink as much as you can, eat as many pies as you can. Go for it's it. It's New Year's. Yeah, go for it. I mean, like I've eaten so much food over the past like week. It's crazy. Um, so um Sonia, the Black Widow. Oh Thomas. yeah, here's a picture of her right here. She's yep. amazing. You're not gonna picture. She's one of the best competitive eaters in the world, and I bet you before I put the picture up, you'll have no idea what she looks like. It's yeah, surprising. No, and I haven't even seen her yet. Um, but I know that she ate in 2010. She ate 47 oysters in eight minutes, and I feel like I could beat that. I fucking oh, love man. oysters. 27 and- is a lot but I bet it was over like 45 to minutes to an hour. I'd say one oyster weighs under an ounce by far. I mean, like maybe an eighth of an ounce, eighth of an ounce per oyster, especially if you're doing like the, the briny, like New England oysters or, or like Prince Edward Island, I guess would be a good example of them. I love oysters. Uh, 47 dude. Like, I feel like that should be like at least double that. So I, I feel mean, like maybe this is a good, a good world, man. I don't think you could beat it in eight minutes. I, I'm surprised. I bet you could do more than I would imagine you could, but less than a professional eater because that's what she does for a living. A lot of these people, they have a job and then their side job is like just trying to win these competitions. Just for your sake, because you can't see the picture yet, she looks, her body type is mine. 
She's like five foot four. She weighs like 120 pounds, maybe 110, whatever. And she can put down that many oysters. Like, damn. Because a lot of yeah, these guys, so- these eating competitions, like we said, at the Fat Man's Club, a lot of these they're not that big. guys, they're big guys. But nowadays, you get all different sides of people. They're just, you know, mm-hmm. medium, athletic build, large build. They're all there. Because you don't have to, you know, pack on the pounds. You just got to eat the food in that time limit. If you can handle yeah. it, you win. I feel like, I, I don't know, I feel like that's one that I can take. I mean, like, again, I'm not a big dude either. Um, but 47 yeah. oysters in eight minutes, I mean, I, I can crush oysters. And they're, and oysters are like a beer. You just slide them in. I mean, they're not, it's like a hot dog where, you know. You have to chew it. You can just slide it right well, down. Well, are they chewing them, man? When they do the hot dogs, are they even chewing those? They are barely chewing them. We'll get to that. Okay, we'll get to that. But anyway, so... I have here for interesting things before. I mean, I, I got a, just a couple of interesting competitions here. Yeah, go ahead. Um, there is the Testicle Festival in Montana. Beautiful Montana. Great. If you have been, you should go. Um, that's a eating competition that's totally crazy. We bull testicles, also known as Rocky Mountain Oysters. Because there aren't oysters in Montana. So <laughs> yeah, no oysters there, just bulls with balls. Yep, just bulls with balls. Um uh, and then there's uh, uh, there's a kimchi eating contest somewhere in the United States. These are U.S. based ones. Um, yeah. Kimchi. Well, the uh, U.S. obviously is the it's the highest rate of eating competitions in the world. I mean that that's the most American thing. Just stuff in your face full of food. They have eating competitions yeah. in other countries too, but America has the most of them. And if you it's like playing basketball. If you want to go pro, you got to come to the U.S. Yeah. Yep. Exactly. So. Um, big money. <clears throat> Uh, I've got two other weird ones in here with also a prize amount for these type of things. Um, yeah. the, I think the hardest one, quite frankly, um, is a jalapeno eating contest. Um, the record is 265 jalapenos. Um, Jesus, that's a ton. Because now you're adding a level of difficulty on top of it. It's not just the amount of food, it's the spiciness that's unrelenting the whole time. Well, the spiciness, because how what makes pepper spicy probably most people know is capsaicin same thing in pepper spray it's real i mean it's there anybody who's ever cut jalapenos or habaneros and touched their eyes you know what that's all about um the the highest concentration of capsaicin in the seeds too so when you when you eat the whole thing it's it's spicier than just slicing it up and cooking it because the seeds have the most capsaicin in them yeah that's my next point is is that um In each jalapeno, there one one standard jalapeno, whatever the FDA says that is, is 223 milligrams of potassium, which is kind of cool. That's like a, a lot. Bananas, oh, yeah, yeah, that's a good amount. But the uh, uh, jalapeno is made of the exocarp, the uh, mesocarp, the endocarp, placenta, and the seeds. Um, and I think the definition is you got to eat all that shit. Yeah, the whole thing. 265 of those. Um, so that's a crazy competition, and your stomach—you have to feel be a rough off. one, man. Yeah, and yeah, and, and like not to be gross, but like that's gonna really burn, dude. Like you're gonna be hot, hot, hot on the way. Even when coming out, it's gonna be painful. I mean, any of these competitions, when you're done, even if you didn't win, you're gonna feel awful for the rest of the day, probably. But particularly the jalapeno one. Shush, whoa, good, good luck. Yeah, to not you. a good time. Um, but even potentially even more painful just because it's it's pretty much 100% artificial. Not artificial, but you've got sugar mixed with like a, what is, what are marshmallows made of? Sugar and corn syrup? Or yeah. that's it? I think so. I think that's it too. 
Yeah, um, I think it's just they're only inflated by how much air that you let like it rise before you take it out of the the, uh, the marshmallow oven machine. Or marshmallow machine. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah like, I think the price is only about how much you let it expand. It's like a, a cake or whatever. How much you let it right. rise. Yeah. So whatever whatever's going on with marshmallows. Um, uh, there's a record of 255 peeps. Peeps. Oh man. I couldn't that, even eat a sleeve of peeps. Never mind. I don't know, man, Joe. Would you rather eat 255 peeps or 265 jalapenos? I think that's a really good question. I would rather eat the peeps just because not they wouldn't be as spicy. Um, but I hate peeps and I think they taste terrible and they are terrible. And I like jalapenos, but if I had to go for the whole amount, I'd have to go peeps. Um, but you I mean, imagine when you eat too much candy, how much your stomach hurts, and then you put, you know, a metric ton of marshmallows in your gut. That's gonna take, I mean. That's got to be almost as bad coming out as the jalapenos, even though it's not spicy. It's just, you're getting binded up there, all that marshmallow just sitting in you. Just ugh. yeah, I feel like you're like if you didn't have like your appendix out, you're gonna have to have it out. Like oh, your your um, pancreas is gonna tell you to go fuck, and your and your kidneys might have an issue. That insulin. Yeah, like it's it's it's, it's the type of thing that like you're you shouldn't be eating 265 anything, but like peeps, I feel like are so from Mars that like. All right, so yeah. the, ingredients, the ingredients of Peeps are exactly what we thought. Sugar, corn syrup, gelatin. That's oh, the gelatin. shit we're missing. That's the chewiness um, in there. Well, I think you have to hit, hit yourself with insulin like an EpiPen before you even start the challenge. You're, you're, you're fucking sugar you're fucked, yeah. I mean, like, um, it's pretty bad. Um, sugar, corn syrup, gelatin, some dyes, some preservatives like potassium sorbate, flavors, and, wa- and carnauba ca- ca- car- 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 wax. Yeah. Um, but I, I, and then sugars per serving is, uh, serving size is 10 chicks and there's 31 grams, which is about half of a, a, a can of Coke. Um, gotcha. So it's a lot of sugar. Yeah. 200. Yeah. It's basically like, um, uh, I, yeah, I don't know. That's a, so that's a lot of fucking Cokes is what I'm saying. 300 grams for half of it so if you double that it'd be 600 grams and then however 75 on top of that so that's you know almost a thousand grams of sugar right there oh boy yeah that's a lot um not a whole lot of anything else though which is nice um but that's pretty fucking crazy i just feel like i would never i would never go i would never be able to take a shit for the rest of my life Oh, no, that'd be it. And also, I remember me when you said you don't want to eat 275 of anything. It's a great Mitch Hedberg joke that he goes, I, I love rice. It's really good for when I want to eat a thousand of something. <laughs> that is a really funny I can, I can eat 275 grains of rice. I could definitely do that. Yeah, that's a good point. Perspective, man. That's so, um, yeah. Um, uh yeah so i mean uh what we've got next joe is is probably the fucking hot dog boys right yeah testicles are crazy kimchi's a little crazy peeps are crazy Mm -hmm. jalapenos are crazy but we're on to the the original besides bratwurst we got we got the old dogs hot dogs which are awesome it's now because it's been going on for so long it's almost synonymous with a eating competition you think of those hot dogs so on uh july 4th which they still hold the competition every year 1916 at Coney Island, Nathan's famous hot dogs decided to start having a hot dog eating contest where they would do the competition. They'd tie the people out, see how many hot dogs you could get down. And that 
competition has been going on for so long. I have to imagine it's the longest running in the world. I mean, it's been over a hundred years now. They've been doing it every year, Fourth of July to get down there. Of course, every year it gets more and more expensive and more people go. Um, and it has eaters from all around the world. I mean, the aforementioned Black Widow, she's been part of the competition too. Uh, as far as I know, she's never won the hot dog eating competition, but everyone's got their own specialties. And it really is the World Series of eating competitions. I mean, all the best eaters from all around the world who are, whether you make a record eating the most ramen noodles in Japan or the most pork pies in London, you go to the hot dog eating contest because you can win the most money. It's the biggest stage. And uh, for many years, each different type of you know, Americans would win. Even people internationally wouldn't come for a long time back then. But it all culminates in the modern day of eating. In the early 2000s, it started to shift a little bit because a guy comes in named Takiro Kobayashi, and he starts winning every single year. Not just winning every year. He starts breaking his own record of how many hot dogs people have ever eaten in the competition. So I have to imagine in the early days, it couldn't have been more than 30 dogs. But Kobayashi shatters the record in the early 2000s by eating 56 hot dogs. And he's skinny as a real time, too. They even showed him lift up his shirt at the end of the competition. And you could see just the mass of food in there, how much he had to throw in there. And he continues to crush it for six years straight. From 01 to 06, the Japanese guy comes in and starts winning every single year. People are getting mad. Like, this is the 4th of July hot dog eating competition, and we can't win. The Japanese guy comes in. Meanwhile, he gets shredded. He goes from skinny to completely yoked like he is built working out the entire time he's eating hot dogs for a living and he's in the gym the weirdest combination ever but after 2006 he never wins again because the american joey chestnut who is actually the current champion comes in and he he outdoes him i think he outdid him by about 66 dogs the first time and joey chestnut currently holds yeah. the record in the year 2021 he's the most hot dogs eaten in competition with a whopping 75 hot dogs. So, I mean, once you, <laughs> once you get to 55, you're like, that's the, that's the record. It's over. You can't do any more. This guy did 75. 75. Yeah. So, and part of the reason why he was able to uh, eat so many is from Kobayashi's method, because in years past, everyone had different ideas. You had to eat the hot dog and the bun, and that was the only rule. It had to be both a hot dog and a bun. So people would sometimes separate the hot dog and eat it first, then eat the bun second. But Kobayashi comes out with a method that's more about speed and efficiency than the usual eating. He breaks the hot dog in half and shoves both sides into each side of his mouth so he can chew it a bit and swallow it. With the cup of water they provide you with, he takes the bun, rips it in half, soaks the bun in water. So it's like soggy, wet bread and just slides it down his throat. And that style of eating hot dogs, ever since he did it, watch the competitions next year. Every single person does it now. They break it God apart. Goddamn game changer. Yeah, he changed the game. <laughs> and now the guy who holds the world record uses the same method, but he's just better at it than Kobayashi is now. Well, Joey Chestnut. I'll throw a picture of Joey Chestnut and Kobayashi, but one of yep. them looks more like a guy who wins hot dog eating contests, and another guy looks like he should be a ninja warrior. And not just because he's from Japan. The guy's shredded. But, uh, yeah. I was in Washington, D.C. in 2001, and... Um, I was there with my siblings and my mom and my aunts. And I yeah. went to the first... Is this post 9-11? Is the Pentagon still not harmed? Uh, this is pre-9-11. Okay, so and they have no idea there's a plane coming for the Pentagon. This is, this is, this is uh, between those months of, of, of the summer before 9-11. Um, 
I went to the There's NSA no question pre 9-11. First time really out of this out of Massachusetts, Rhode Island, Connecticut, Vermont, New Hampshire, Maine. Yeah. First like Ever. big vacation, you're going on a trip, like an actual Yep. Oh sorry. I took a train to Florida one time before that, but that was like a train. So I went to just from like Massachusetts to Florida. Anyway, so um Damn. so That's I drew we, me and my family drove down to Washington, DC to my aunt's house. And um she's an employee of the NSA, National Security Agency who doesn't let anybody in or anybody out for the most part. Um, and they had a family day. The NSA had a fucking family day in 2001. You know it's 9-11 now. <laughs> a family yeah. day. It never happened again, so to speak. No, sure. That's hilarious. Yeah. Things I did at the NSA family day. I held all the guns that they had <laughs> as, as a nine-year-old. That's something I did. They had MP5s and assault rifles and they're on a table with like their nsa swat people like splinter cell just you know guys there with no magazines or whatever it is and i held mp5s on a fold-out table and i said hey cool this is an nsa it's so funny so i went that this happened dylan reed nine years old mp5 like hey this is fun um um day uh but they also had a uh uh a, a donut eating competition um, All right, and it was donuts on a string, and who could eat the donuts? Who could who could finish the donut on the string fastest? Yeah, and Jeez. I lost. I lost, but my brother won. So that was probably my first wow food competition. Was at the NSA at their first and only family day before nine eleven, <laughs> where you could hold an MP five and go in a bouncy house and hold and have a donut eating competition. That's oh. something I have said that i have taken off my bucket list that a lot of people have not <laughs> dude that might that might be the most american thing you've ever done you were only a kid when you did it nine years old mp5 bouncy house donut comp donut eating competition <laughs> in the nation's capital <laughs> and in washington dc at the national security agency nsa square building that you have to go through a maze of roadblocks just to even get to the parking lot oh my god never yeah. forget that day that's great. Yeah. Yep. Yep. I that didn't know where you were going. I was like, how is this going to wrap into the eating competition? <clears throat> yep. So. They had a, they had the, whoever, whoever's the party planner at the NSA decided to throw in a donut competition. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. Oh, they're, they're currently in the Russian embassy right now. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Oh yes. What's this? Um, yeah. What's his name? Snowden. Snow, Edward Snowden. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> He was the party planning committee who had the donuts, the donut MP5 thing. Yeah, that was the idea. I thought that it should be a hot dog on a string, but they went with donuts, and then I had to flee the country. So yeah, yep, exactly, yep. So that 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 ends my uh, my food competitions. All right, so this is the thing that I don't fucking know, right? Can you tell, right. Joe? Can you tell us what Terraria is? We talked about the best competitive eaters in the world. Uh, and that's been over the past hundred years, all these competitions they've had. But I have a story about an eater who came before the time of competitive eating competitions. And I believe wholeheartedly would have beaten all these people to a pulp. He is the all-time biggest eater that I ever know about. Enough that he is a piece of history based solely on his gullet. We're going to get into it right now. He's a Frenchman named Terrare. He's got one name, like Madonna or Cher. And his name's Terrare. So this guy is born in France in 1772. 
to a farmer and his wife. And by his teenage years, he could eat a quarter of an entire cow carcass in a single day. So that means in a week, <laughs> he would have eaten. Sorry, sorry it's, the, it's the international standard of how much you can eat. Based on a cow carcass, how much could he eat of the cow carcass in one sitting? <laughs> a cow is very expensive. And at, at, a, at a farm, if your son is eating a quarter of a cow carcass every day, Gonna run out of the car. Cows pretty fast, right? Dude, I mean, that's yeah. fucking insane. What do you mean a cow carcass? That's one. How much does one cow weigh? Five hundred pounds? No, probably about uh, sixteen hundred pounds. Or what you know, the I, uh, fuck? So he can eat a quarter of a cow carcass in one fucking day. <laughs> okay, maybe they're not sixteen hundred, but at least a thousand pounds. For all right, wait, 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 wait. All right, so so meat. How much? All right, so this is the way the cow doesn't matter because of the bones and the stomachs and stuff like that. They said cow carcass because they don't just mean he had 10 steaks. They mean he could eat the the fat, the organs, the the everything. I mean, otherwise it's cow carcass. It's not just a steak. Anyways, <clears throat> so that was in his teenage years. By the time he was 17, he only weighed 100 pounds. And he's eating, uh, he's eating that much every day. He's putting down food. And we already talked about before. The reason why it's so tough to come by eating competitions is because food is scarce, especially in France mm. in the late 1700s. I mean, we're only about 15, 20 years away from the uh, French Revolution. Right now, America's popping off and they need that thing going on. So we're moving on with Chirare, or Torare, spelled T-A-R-R-E or A-R-E. Um, so they said that he didn't look normal either, which obviously he didn't if he could accomplish that kind of crazy eating. He had a huge stretched out mouth that kind of looked like it was like chipmunk cheeks on both sides. And he could fit supposedly 12 eggs in his cheeks. So I think one egg, I could maybe fit two. He could fit 12 apparently. Even if you twelve. Crack- wait, 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 wait. 12 on each side or 12 total? No, 12 total. 12 total eggs. So a whole dozen eggs in his mouth before swallowing. What about the tongue area too? Like, could you fit them in the in this front part or just the sides? Yeah, just picture putting a whole dozen eggs in your mouth and you don't <clears> swallow. Them, whatever that. All right, I'd be. say I'd say a normal person could probably eat could probably hold four to five tops. I mean, like two on each side. I mean, and... you have to you'd have to crack them all first to even try to do that, right? No, no, we're, we're not cracking them, right? I think this is just this is oh, well, just all in. Yeah, you gotta. Uh, hold him with the shell in it and everything. Just pop him right in there. Yeah. But we're not cracking the eggs. We're doing like whole eggs that can't crack. You're just cramming in there. Yeah. Yeah, I'd say I'd say, dude, I'd say four to six total for a normal person. Like twelve is insane. That's fucked. Big old mouth on the guy, and it fits the rest of them. So he also had a huge flap of stretched out skin where his stomach was, because when he would eat it would get all full up. Like it looked like he was pregnant afterwards because he'd eat so much food. It would, you could literally see his stomach be flabby and drooping. Like he used to be a fat guy and then it would expand out until his proper size. So even as a young man, he had this weird looking body and he could just put down food um, to the point where he becomes famous for it. I mean, so (laughs) the more he's eating, you know, cow carcasses or whatever else he can get his hands on, his parents, (laughs) his parents go, you're eating us at a house and home literally eating our livelihood you need to get out they kick him out of the house now he's in his late teens he's probably 18 19 years old now he's on the street he didn't have a lot of whole marketable skills and not only is it not that his skill set is that high it's the fact that he has a constant addiction to consuming food 
all day long. It's all he does. He's begging for food. He's stealing food. He's eating out of the trash cans. And he's eating so much around town, he becomes a sideshow act. People start bringing him full buckets of apples. So we're talking about like 20, 24, 50 apples, whatever, bushels coming in. And I just watched <laughs> him just pop them in. People are, are making a crowd. They're forming a crowd and they're bringing him stuff. They're bringing him barrels of corks, of wine corks. He's putting them down. They're bringing him trash cans and they sit there. Go ahead. Puts it down. He's just eating on the street corner, just putting down anything. It's not even edible. He's just throwing it down his gullet. No problem. Just getting it done there. Uh, this happens for a year and a half, two years of him just street performing, just having people feed him trash. That's what he's doing until he decides he's going to enlist in the army. He's going to make something out of his life. Uh, he didn't want to be a street kid anymore. Mm -hmm. And there was a war that was happening in 1792 between, uh, you know, it's, it's all the old European succession stuff. It's Prussia, it's Belgium, it's all that crap. So he, he decides to fight on the side of France, which is where he's from. And he says, I'm going to enlist. So he enlists and immediately people notice he's an insane eating freak right away. This guy is so, so consumed with consumption. Everyone knows it about him immediately. It's not like a secret thing he does. He does it constantly. He's eating out of the trash cans after the mess hall. They end up giving him quadruple portions, and he still finishes his plate and then walks into the trash can and starts eating all the discarded food because he's just consuming so much food. So all the soldiers are taking notice. They go, this guy's fucking crazy, right? Anyways, he gets to be part of uh, you know, major operations, and he ends up having exhaustion maybe he was injured maybe he was sick they ended up sending him to a hospital and getting off of the, the lines of the war and that's where they really figure out who this guy is because now he's in a hospital setting and they're giving him an insane diuretic for intestinal blockage so that he can kind of flush Ooh, out yeah right you can yep. imagine what we have in that in that era whatever that means in 17 uh -huh. and the hospital staff is flabbergasted they're like this guy is a goddamn machine they start just feeding him stuff just to see what'll happen. He's like an anomaly. So they, they feed him. Uh, what they, they prepare for him is a bunch of different uh, facets of this. So they start making him uh, a, a feast of uh, a meal that they would make for 15 people. They, they design a whole dinner table for 15 people. So it's 15 plates of food. Uh, they, they let Terrari go in there. Puts it all down easily, takes a nap. So a fifteen-person meal is put down by one man. He <clears> takes a nap afterwards. So it's like it's like the show The Queen's Gambit when she plays like fifteen other men in chess at the same time. Yes, with, yeah, yeah. with eating, it's the same thing, guys. In case everyone's confused. Yeah, but also I I, can't, I don't know if I'm conveying it like just the the apathy he has in doing it. He's never like going like, hey, watch this. He just does. It's like they just let him go. Like, like what will happen if you do this? And then, of course, he goes, yeah, he just eats the whole thing. But he's not really bragging about it. It's just he's constantly consumed by this need to eat. So he wouldn't be trying to be famous for eating, but that's his thing. And they keep feeding him. They, um, they give him a raw eel, a full raw eel. So it's the entire thing dead. They hand it to him. They say, well, how about you eat this? He crushes the skull with his teeth. So it can fit in his mouth. And then he slurps the entire thing down his mouth. So I'll put a picture of an eel skeleton up on the page now. It's basically a barrel of needles. Every single rib in the eel is a small needle that will be stabbing all your stomach and intestines. He swallowed the whole thing whole. 
no big deal. Terrare, fucking machine, dude. Ate the whole thing. I mean, at some time in the army, they were trying to just feed him the right way, and they figured his gift might be used for subterfuge. So they decided they're going to give him a box with a note in it. He's going to swallow the whole box, keep it in his iron stomach. He's going to go across enemy lines and deliver the message. Uh, unfortunately, in Terrare fashion and in their own fashion, they offered him a bucket of bull organs if he would do it, and he agreed to do it because he wanted to eat a whole bucket of bull organs. That was like his nice fun dessert that he would eat. And he goes over there. Uh, unfortunately, he can't speak German, so they catch him immediately. <laughs> <laughs> They're like, what the fuck? Uh, then they, they torture him for a couple hours. They, they whip him in, and then he admits that he has um, precious information in his stomach that they chain into a toilet until he shits it out. Turns out the information wasn't that valuable, so they send him back. And that's where we are now in the hospital. And unfortunately, as it goes on, he, he just starts eating like a complete maniac. He's staying in the hospital trying to get them to, to not only study him for their benefit, but to cure him for his benefit. I mean, this guy is consumed with eating every second of his life. Obviously, he likes eating, but I'm sure he wouldn't want to have to eat this much food every day of his life. I mean, he's eating It's like scraps. a constant itch. It's like a constant yeah. itch. Like, it feels good, but it doesn't feel good, you know? He's trying to solve it, right? Yeah. So it starts to get a little bit darker at this point because in the hospital, they're not always feeding him to the degree that he wants. It's more like an experiment. So he's sneaking out and he's going to butcher shops in the back alley and, and opening up their rotting meat trash cans and he's eating the meat out of there. Uh, he starts to go to people who are undergoing bloodletting procedures, which they used to do back in those times where they would cut you and let blood run out because they let all the bad demons out or whatever crazy science they used to think back then. And he would go in there and he would, he would collect the blood that would come out and he'd drink all the blood of the people who were getting bloodletting, just getting anything to get more in there. At one point, he took a live cat and ripped it in half, drank all of its blood, ate every part of the cat besides the bones, and then coughed up a fur ball an hour later. And they're like, we, we, got, a, we got a complete maniac in here. Therare. Even at that point, they, they hadn't kicked him out of the hospital yet. He's doing all this insane shit. They're just trying to keep learning more about him. He gets caught trying to eat bodies in the mortuary when he's stuck in the hospital. He's going and finding dead bodies and trying to eat dead people. And they're like, Terrare, dude, we know you eat a lot, but like, this is fucking crazy. I mean, it's next level. Even then, they don't kick him out until uh, a little while after that, one of the people in the hospital goes missing happens to be a 14-month-old baby. And they can't find the baby. And uh, I think we know where this is going. Terrare got kicked out at that point because they uh, find out that Terrare actually ate the baby. Wow. I mean, this guy is just unbelievable, the amount he can put down. <laughs> Fast forward a few years, he joined the KGB, did some... <laughs> crazy things and his name is actually Val vladimir putin yeah it is. <laughs> that's, the that's, that's the story of him um he's a superhuman uh, psychopath and uh wow um just kidding it's not him he is not him <laughs> so i guess um four years after, i don't know how they didn't put him to death for doing that i imagine they probably couldn't prove that he did it but uh, they all knew like they knew this guy for years they, they knew that that's what happened that's so they, fucked up. Yeah. They sent him on his way. And uh, four years later, he goes back to the same hospital because he's dying from tuberculosis. And uh, he dies within a couple of days of it entering the hospital. They're basically just there to, to help him die. 
And they are like, all right, we got to cut this guy open. What the fuck is going on? Like they never had to really, I mean, back then you couldn't really examine somebody until they died. Like we can now with all our MRIs and CAT scans. They didn't really know yeah. what's going on in there. So he's dead and they're like, let's get to work on this body. They start opening up his mouth to the point where they can look down into his esophagus and they can see all the way down into his stomach from there. So his stomach cavity isn't like pinched off like ours where the esophagus goes all the way down and then you can't see that deep in. It's mm -hmm. like, it's like a well. You look down and the, the stomach's right there. <laughs> when they cut him open. It's a hole, yeah. Yeah, when they cut him open, his stomach is almost the size of his whole abdominal cavity and all his other organs are, are misformed and very like squished to the side. So he had this massive stomach that's almost the size of his full torso. And because the human stomach is supposed to be designed to be like this large, not yeah, even. Yeah, that big, yeah. Yeah, your body not only gets full that way, but it also is able to digest all the nutrients and take them all out. And this guy had a stomach so fucking big, he was never full and he was never digesting the way he should have. So he was never getting any larger. He never was a fat guy. He just had this big giant stomach. He was skinny as hell and he would just fill it up with a, with a you know 15 meals and then barely any of it would go into his system and then he'd shit it all out he well and it sounds oh uh, it's crazy and, and it sounds that he's eating mostly protein and um if you yeah. if you eat a full protein diet you'll lose weight you know if you every for breakfast lunch and dinner only have steak yeah uh with minimal fats you will inevitably lose weight you could die too if you don't that's how you get scurvy um no, uh, scurvy takes scurvy takes three months of zero vitamin C to get, by the way. Um, but you can, uh, yeah, like uh, literally, you'll, if you eat meat, if you're a high protein diet, you will 100% lose weight. So he could be a normal sized guy, but that's fucking insane. I didn't know the story at all. I never even heard of this in my life. Wine corks and eggshells. He was eating all kinds of shit. Yeah, I think he preferred meat probably because his body was craving the nutrients you can get from a, a, a diet and he just wasn't getting those wow. nutrients so he was constantly wanting i mean the i can understand he's trying to fill your belly with all even the disgusting you know meat organs and all that but the, the wanting to drink people's blood and stuff it's like you're it's some kind of insane craving i can't imagine what it was like yeah but he's it's it's a a, a full-blown uh addiction to some sort of like chemical like dopamine like it's a it's I a mean, it's a dopamine problem was, or something like that. Not hungry. He said from the, from the moment he woke up to the moment he fell asleep, he was never not hungry his whole life. Even when he was full, he would usually, when he was full in the way that his stomach was going to explode, that was the only time he could get full and he usually kind of fall asleep and then he'd wake up and he'd just be immediately hungry again. And that'd be it. He just was hungry every day of his life. Sounds fucking horrible. Holy shit. Wow. Yeah. It's a terrible existence. I mean, he had all his teeth were mangled and fucked up. They said that he stunk to high heaven. And this is in sixty in 1792. So you imagine how bad you have to smell in 1792 for people to be like that. <laughs> I mean, you got farting all bad. the time. You got all he did was fart. You have to. That has to go somewhere. They said he he rarely ever is there a story of him throwing up. It's only ever it goes through the system or it gets clogged in his intestines and then he nearly dies and they have to give him super high octane, you know, X lax and then save his life. Damn. Wow. I mean, all, all the bones and, you know, undigestible matter he put in there, it, it really is a wonder he didn't die sooner. And TB got him. Oh, yeah. Oh, totally. TB got him probably because his lungs were the size of beer bottles instead of, you know, yeah. milk milk jugs. And he, uh, oh, yeah. because they were so squished. 
Um, oh yeah, his organs must have just been just completely uh, bruised and ruptured, just pushed up against the sides of his uh, rib cage and whatever. I mean, it's wild. Yeah, like a so, naked, like a naked on. butt on a fax machine. <laughs> exactly. Yes. So, uh, so we'll wrap it up. We'll wrap it up with our boy. What's his name again? Our, our, our man. Uh, yeah, that's Terare, the man with one name and a stomach that's bigger than anyone I've ever seen. Um, so that's it for for this episode, guys. This is crazy time. Um, we're so excited that we were able to produce this one, um, yeah. and we'll see you guys next week. And uh, be sure to check our Instagram. Be sure to you can even email us or comment. And even more specifically. If you guys have got things you want to see on the pod, write us. Write us. We'll probably talk about it. Um, we got we got between Joe and I, right, Joe? We got ten thousand ideas about things to talk about, but we want to hear from you guys as well. So let us know. And um, yeah, yeah. I mean, obviously, we usually talk about like more in depth topics, but this was just a fun one to go into this week. And now we're gonna get into more, you know dicey stuff and more interesting stuff and just more fun stuff like this so yeah just let us know yeah spice it up see what happens um and again throw it on in the car you don't need to watch it um or throw it on the big old tv you got and watch us talk. yeah get it going we get some good visuals and uh we'll see you guys next week and we'll have this one out for you soon so um have a good one that's the dylan and joe basement podcast we're uh dylan and joe and joe <laughs> that's new well, that's it. <laughs> yeah, fuck it man why not i mean we might as well play it up you know get it moving so so we're at one point. um people people all right, all right hang on hang on before that um common scene around went up later on but anyways Alcohol was used for pleasure. But... We love these We love these subs. <laughs> because they are good to us. When you bring in a coupon for things to eat or oil changes for pony rides or for these subs. Because they are good. Any coupon works. Yes. I want to show those guys. Yeah, yeah. Show those guys. Because for those of you who aren't old, like a lot of people don't know what's good right now, man. And. That Quiznos commercial, the fact that we both remember that and it was on for like six months tops is fucking insane. And that came out in what, 2001, 2002? And Quiznos doesn't suck. They're out of business now. They're gone? Alcohol was used for pleasure and for an what's called analgesic, right? Let's say say it, analgesic. I've never heard the word before. All right, well, if you go to the Poison Ivy section in Walgreens, you'll see it a lot. Um, uh, Well... Poison Ivy is a bad example. What, but what is pain, right? You know, um, <laughs> it's I stay on target. No, 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 no. Analgesic <laughs> is, is is a pain reliever. That's the definition of analgesic. Someone like house a cheeseburger in two minutes. I'm like, I couldn't even do that. Like, I just, I, I don't have the the intestinal fortitude. I can't believe that. Good word, yeah. <laughs> intestinal fortitude. You know, you've got like apple bobbing and hot dog strings. I started...